Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I am joined this week by Owen Hughes. Hello. Andrew Brooker. Evening, gents. And Liam. Afternoon. As we take a look at the, well, not even the last week in film this week, because there's no new releases worth reviewing, because <laughs> Owen refused to go and see Boss Baby. Owen didn't think Boss Baby was good enough to review. I yes. did not want to go and see it, basically. Uh, I was not going to waste time over the weekend to go and watch something I knew would be either average or shite. Yeah, you're not missing much. Have you no. seen it? Yeah, I have. Let's not why? even give it the courtesy of a, what you know. Mean, why? I've got a three-year-old. What else am I going to take her to see? She's not allowed yeah. to watch Ghost in the Shell. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yes, instead of reviewing new films, we're going to do a triple bill. And with it being Easter, my idea of doing a film, uh, a triple bill based on um, Jesus, eggs, and uh, rabbits was vetoed, but Owen has decided we'll pick our favourite three religious films. Yes, I thought Jesus, eggs, and rabbits might be a bit niche. No, come on. Could Don Juan go? Alien. Could they got could eggs and rabbits. Oh, so you could have gone for Jesus. You could have gone Passion of the Christ. You watched that the other week. You liked it. So there's, there's, there's one. Uh, rabbits, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and Eggs. Jurassic Park, the dinosaurs yeah. hatching out eggs. There you go. Name me three other egg films, and we can do this next time. Uh, a- alien, there's eggs in Alien, and Howard the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> He's there you go. Yeah. Thank you very much. Good night. It's our triple bill done. You've got Ghostbusters as well, haven't you? You've got the um, the eggs fry themselves in Ghostbusters. That's true. Yeah. 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 I don't know about I don't know about three rabbit films. Um, like if you if you took Bugs Bunny out of the equation. It's probably Space Jam. Yeah, Space Jam, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and Donnie Darko, if that counts. There you go. And three Jesus films um, Passion of the Christ, Who Framed, uh, not Who Framed Roger <laughs> Rabbit. That's on my brain, isn't it? Um, metaphor, the metaphor for Jesus is like Who yeah. Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Uh, so, Passion of the Christ, uh, what, else is, what else has Jesus been in? Life of Brian, he's in that. And. This is something else. Last oh, Temptation of Christ. Of all, I was going to say, of all the ones that you could have failed on, <laughs> got, got the eggs one straight away. Eggs. Into the Jesus movies. Um... Well, that's, that's our triple bill. Next week on the Foul Critics podcast. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> we do yeah, I, I think we could have done eggs, Jesus and rabbits, but um, 
Obviously mm. not. Um, so yes, there'll be our fa- three favourite religious themed or based films uh, yeah. in, in Triple Bill later. Uh, we have got a quiz though, Owen. We do, we do. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sticking with this religious thing. Basically what happened as well, the reason I thought of doing just a more general religious one, uh, Triple Bill this week, we had a guy on Twitter called, uh, well, at Just Spug, who tweeted us after the Passion of the Christ review from a few weeks ago and says, he asked basically when our spin-off podcast Failed Religious Studies was going to start. So I thought, well, there's one link. The other day, Liam, you recommended a documentary to me on iPlayer about Mary Magdalene in art, which was yeah. quite interesting. Yeah, it was, it was all right. It's not one of his best, but it's um, it's his yeah. stuff. I'll watch it anyway. Yeah, so it's quite quite interesting. So there's another link. And then, you know, Steve tweeting about doing an egg Jesus and uh, rabbit triple bill. I thought, well, fuck it. We'll just go ahead and do a religious movies triple bill for Easter. Um, so, yeah, the theme of the quiz is along those lines. I've got a question, and it's multiple choice, but uh, Steve, you can have your first guess, and then I'm going to pass over to Liam. Pass over. That was my little... God. What's, the, what's the score at the moment? It's one. It's one nil Owen, isn't it? It's one nil to you, isn't it? You won last week because of the whole controversial cheating scandal. Yeah, you got your IMDb score straight away. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You accused me of cheating, and I, I swear, I did not. Seven point two. As somebody who used, <laughs> as somebody who uh, used to host a pub quiz, and who somebody who came up with the whole concept of a quiz cast, mm. I don't really, I don't know how you can question my integrity. Yeah, I think it probably got a nine. No, seven point two. Yeah, yeah. It was just off the top of your head that one. This, this has been playing on your mind all week, hasn't it, Owen? A bit like uh, Jim Carrey and Liar Liar. We're always going. No, I've had better. No, not at all. Nope. I've been very relaxed about the whole thing and not bitter <laughs> or angry, um, and not been looking online to see what could be the worst possible film I could get Steve to watch at all. No. So the first question of this week's quiz. Uh, like I said, multiple cho- choice. Steve, you can you can pick first. Uh, which of the following religions or religious beliefs believes that every human is a genuine and authorised pope and allows you to print a pope card from its website? <laughs> is it deism? Is it discordianism? Or is it pantheism? Uh, it's the second one. Discordianism. Mm. Liam, Brooker, what do you reckon? Yeah, it definitely sounds like to me that one. Discord, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll go with that. This is uh, so far away from my field of expertise. Well, you are correct. Yeah, it is uh, Discordianism. Uh, deism is the belief in the existence of a supreme being, specifically a creator who does not intervene in the universe. Uh, Except and- for creating it. Except for well, that's a pretty big interference. <laughs> that's true. That's the whole fundamental of deism destroyed. Uh, um, pantheism is uh, regards the universe as a manifestation of God. Thus, they do not believe in a distinct personal or anthropomorphic God, according to Wikipedia. And discordianism is based on the idea that chaos rules the world. Um, with the first one, with the mm-hmm. God who who creates things that then doesn't get involved. Mm-hmm. That could be like if there is a god, mm-hmm. that could be like me buying some bread, leaving it in the cupboard, forgetting about it, then realizing there's a load of mold on it, and thinking I can't be bothered with that. I'm just leaving it. 
I'm not even going to move that. So we could just be the mouldy bread in the back of God's cupboard. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, you're talking to what I presume is a bunch of atheists anyway. Well, yeah, but you are a right ray of sunshine there, aren't you, Steve? (laughs) (laughs) Failed religious studies next week. Question number two. Which of the following religions believes that their leader was taken to an alien planet where he hung out with Jesus, Buddha and Confucius and was told by the aliens, which created humans in their lab 25,000 years ago, that they will revisit the Earth in the year 2025? Scientology. Not Scientology. Is it A, Raelism? Is it B, Pastafarianism? Or is it C, the Temple of the True Inner Light? And... uh, Brooker and Liam, you can go first on this one. I have no clue. Um, film podcast. The, the second one doesn't sound real at all. It sounds Pastor, uh, like a piss take. Yeah, but you know what? I've seen that word recently, pastafarianism in something, and I can't remember what it was. It could be anything from like cooking little reggae hats. Like <laughs> pasta. Or, uh, <laughs> Jama- Jamaicans who love, who love a carbonara. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the light thing at the end, I think the third option. What were the, they called? Uh, the Temple of the True Inner Light. Yeah, that's how I yeah, do. Yeah, have that. Steve? A. Raelism. Yeah. Is correct. It's no, Raelism. Probably, probably Googled that, didn't I? You probably did. You had long enough while we were talking. Probably found out on IMDb. <laughs> they, they get a 7.2. Yeah. The Temple of the True Inner Light uh, believe that LSD, magic mushrooms, and most psychedelic drugs are the true flesh of God. Pastafarianism is a parody religion where its followers choose to believe in a flying spaghetti monster that lives in the sky. Uh, Which was, yeah, so it was a response to the teaching of creationism and intelligent design in schools. They just created this as an accepted form of religion. Realism is indeed a UFO religion founded by the now 70-year-old but former race car driver Claude Vorillon in the 1970s, and he changed his name to Rael and claims he was abducted by aliens and hung out with Jesus, Buddha, and Confucius. Of course he did. Mm. I'm sure it's all true. Oh, it must be, must be. Um, So Steve has taken a lead here, 2-1. Question number three. In the book of Revelation, Jesus who uh, famously said to turn the other cheek, is pretty much depicted as a sword-wielding, horse-riding maniac, smiting the non-believers upon his return to Earth. But what is unusual about how he is holding his sword? Is it A, protruding from his chest? Is it B, coming out of his mouth? Or is it C, gripped by his stigmata? And Steve, you can have first guess. I would say... Gripped by his stigmata. Oh, okay. That leaves Liam. Yeah, Brooker. I'm happy, happy to go in there. Uh, I don't know. Though. His sword protruding from his chest, coming out of his mouth, or gripped by his stigmata. None of them sound like fun paintings to look at. No. <laughs> out of the mouth, because he's word of truth and all of that stuff or something. There you go. Let, let's, go let's go with something that the religion has none of, and that's logic. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It is coming out of his mouth. And I think it's metaphorical, exactly as Liam says. So question number four, uh, which of the following horror films is not about a Dibbuk, which is a malicious spirit of Jewish mythology? Is it A, The Possession from 2012? 
Is it B, The Unborn from 2009? Or is it C, The Box from 2009? And uh, Steve, is it your turn to go first? I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, go, go, go on. What do you think? Logic would dictate The Unborn based on the names of those films. So I'm going to go for The Unborn, and I expect I'll be wrong. Mm, we'll see. Liam, Brooker, what do you reckon? I have not a clue. Possession, the unborn, or the box? Uh, the box. Yeah, I'll second that. Is correct. Oh, and you have go. taken a lead. Yeah. The possession is about the Dibbert box. The unborn is about some woman who's possessed or trying to be possessed by a Dibbock. And The Box is a film with Cameron Diaz and James Marsden, which is about a small wooden box which arrives on the doorstep of a married couple who know that opening opening it will grant them a million dollars and kill someone they don't know. I remember that one. It was not good. There you go. But I think, Steve, your logic was about the Dibbock box, right? Yeah. That was the possession. That was, um, which was the film from the eBay thing. About haunted Dibbert box, I think. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah. that story. Mm. Um, okay, final question. According to Box Office Mojo, the highest grossing Christian movies, that's movies produced by Christians that promote or embody their religions from 1980 to present, are The Passion of the Christ and The Chronicles of Narnia trilogy, apparently. What? Um, because the lion is a Jesus, from what I understand. Okay. Um, I can't remember what he's called. What's he called in the... Aslan. Aslan. Aslan is, is yeah, effectively Jesus in those movies. Um, but what is their combined total lifetime gross in dollars? God. The nearest to the pin wins. <laughs> so, uh, Liam and Brooker, what do you reckon? I wouldn't have a clue. I mean, they tend to... Splash the cash on that stuff, don't they? Yeah. Um, no, oh, you're talking about Passion of the Christ being like insanely high grossing the other week, weren't you? And well, Passion of the Christ is the highest grossing. Yeah. Christ- and the Narnia yeah. films. And it was the highest grossing R-rated movie as well for a long time. It's, it's, it's got to be. It's got to be eight, nine hundred million, easy. No, go exactly. Yeah, the same as yeah. Let's go nine hundred million. Yeah. Okay. Nine hundred. Okay, Steve. I'm going to go 783 million. That sounds like a Google guess to me. Yeah. yeah. Actually, Brooker um, and Liam are almost spot on. <laughs> $908.5 million. Oh, wow. That sounds like a Google yeah. guess. It was. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So that means that Brooker and Liam, you have won. But that, yeah, basically now uh, we are level again, Steve. One all. One apiece. Right, wonderful. Um, on, on to the news, uh, yeah. but there is no news. But uh, Brian Plank has recorded 30 seconds worth of thoughts on new Thor Ragnarok trailer. Here it is. Good evening, this is Brian Plank dropping in in this religion scene pod to talk to you about God. The God of Thunder. Thor Ragnarok's trailer came out today and it's quite exciting. Unlike other trailers that we've had for superhero films recently, it embraces the fact that it's fun and it's silly. There's no gruff voices, no darkness, no post-facedness. It's neon. My God, it's neon. And it's fun and it's full of joy. And Chris Hemsworth looks like he's having fun. And the fun bits, the, the bit at the end where he goes, yes! 
is the face that I made and possibly the face that you made as well when you watched it. It might just have a good villain in Kate Blanchett. I mean, when the last time Kate Blanchett did anything bad? As long as we work out how to actually use her, that'll be very interesting to see how she goes as a baddie. It shakes up the character. The first Thor film worked because he was a fish out of water. Now he's also a fish out of water, but he's getting used to it because he's very adaptable. We're not going to get more of the same. So that'll at least be interesting. He's basically just a big puppy dog, is Helmsworth Thor. He's fun, he's enjoying stuff, he's got massive arms and he can rip you in half with them. November's an awful long time away, and I'm really looking forward to this one. In other news, there is no news, uh, I have foolishly decided to uh, live tweet on the official Failed Critics Twitter account all eight Star Wars films back-to-back on Friday. If anything, it will get us lots of of interaction um, with people. don't yeah, blame me. You start tweeting about Phantom Menace. What was it? What were you planning to do? Half six in the morning if you're sober? I, I, if, if I'm sober, it'll be a half past six start. If I am not sober, it'll be a half past nine start. A half past six start would see me finishing around midnight, I think. And you're 1 doing them in what order are you doing them in? Sequential order, right? You're going from. Yes, yeah, so I'm going one, one, two, three, Rogue One, four, five, six, seven. So, yes, getting the, the guff out of the way first. <laughs> so it all kicks off, really, with uh, Rogue One. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which will be... Hey, no, Phantom Menace. Oh, Rogue One. Uh, you mean, um, so if... if that, late, late afternoon. That should be around... If you say they're two hours each, versus around three, four in the afternoon. You, were, you know, part of me was thinking, if you do them this way around... You, you're going to get so fatigued after watching the three prequels first. But, but then you get all of those out of the way while you're still, while you're still like awake and that. Whereas <laughs> otherwise, otherwise if, you watch, yeah. if you go New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Jedi, then that's say, say they're around two and a half hours each. So that's, five, that's seven and a half hours in, and then you've got to watch The Phantom Menace. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah. Whereas my way, The Phantom Menace is first. While I've still got some kind of energy and semblance mm-hmm. about myself, I get a Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones out of the way. Or do you sit there hungover and just quit halfway through the Phantom Menace because you're just done? I can't start thing it and then stop, can I? Imagine <laughs> the imagine the outrage <laughs> from from Paul. I was gonna try and make you do like a minute by minute thing, you know, like when you watch football matches. <laughs> you just do that on all the Star Wars films. But there'd be at least six minute by minutes just having a poo. Still pooing. Yeah. (laughs) Domino's is here. Still pooing. (laughs) Indigestion. Indigestion. Need to go out and buy some ready. (laughs) So, So, back to back, every film, one after the other, assuming there's very little breaks in between. What do you reckon is going to be the total runtime to finish this? Well, do you actually know this? No, I'm, I'm asking because I'm curious. See, I, I think if I get my supplies in before I start, I don't need to leave the sofa. I reckon not much more than what the actual film's runtime will be. I mean, I've got to get up and change the DVD. You've got to roll off the sofa, crawl across the floor, eject, put the new one in. Yeah. Lying back on the sofa. Yeah. To your stupor, surrendered in pizza boxes and ready. And tissues. <laughs> 17 hours and 40 minutes. 
according to bingeclock.com. That is a long time to be watching series of any movies. Are you putting like a hashtag or anything on it so we know what to mute? I mean, what to follow? (laughs) It's the only hashtag I put on is Star Wars, isn't it? It's already in my mute list. It's all right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to tag you in every every tweet. What I've been watching, where we have a look at some films we've seen in the last week or so, um, Liam, I know you've got a sore throat, so why don't we start with you uh, and, and get you out of the way in the politest sense of the word. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, all my reviews of everything tonight will be thankfully brief. Um, <laughs> um, I haven't seen anything really decent lately, so I thought I'd just um, highlight one that didn't get as much buzz as the others, so the foreign language Oscar, which was... Um, Land of Mine, the Danish entry that was um, about young kids, young German kids who were the sort of ragtag leftovers that the Germans sent to guard the Danish coast. And when the war ended, of course, the coast is all mined and uh, all the locals make the young kids go out and dig up the landmines. It's obviously it's horrendously uh, perilous for them. They're treated extremely badly by first their own army and then of course the Dutch, uh, sorry the Danish um, civilians um, at the end looking for revenge as much as anything um, it, it really deserved a lot more um, praise than it got uh, I mean going up against the salesman it was never going to do anything there you know it will get much in the way of attention but um, it should be easy enough to find now and most definitely a really good watch um it's quite harrowing in a number of places it's very harrowing in fact um and it swings backwards and forwards in attitude uh, really good film certainly worth a, a good look at that one okay uh owen what have you seen um i watched a uh, well i was sent a dvd screener for swiss army man uh, which came out today it was released today 10th of april uh, it's basically a movie about a guy called Hank, who's played by Paul Dano, and his what's probably best described as a farting corpse companion called Manny, who's played by Daniel Radcliffe, uh, as Hank tries to survive out in the wilderness until he can uh, get back to civilization. Um, I mean, I've described Manny as a farting corpse because that's actually very important to the story, believe it or not. That's the whole premise of the film, is that Manny, the corpse, the bloated corpse that washes up on the shore, farts, and he farts a lot. And um, But he doesn't just fart either. He has other skills which, believe it or not, help Hank out, um, such as his ability to retain water, like a big water butt, which helps Manny, who's stranded on an island um, and then traipsing through the woods, uh, actually able to drink something because he drinks the water that the corpse throws up. He has uh, Manny has appendages that help out in other less conventional ways too that I don't really want to spoil for people listening. But basically, Manny is a big Swiss army knife, hence the title of the film. Um, I wrote quite an extensive review on the website. So I'd encourage people to read that rather than um, 
me just read everything that I've written there. Um, but the bottom line is, I think the Swiss Army Man is actually a very funny movie when it wants to be. Uh, the fact that there's like hundreds of fart noises that are used constantly throughout the film is absolutely fine, actually. It doesn't overstay its welcome as a sort of joke, as a sort of gag. Um, I mean, the humour is a little bit juvenile, as you probably expect. And in fact, I mean, they had like a ton of walkouts during its screening at the Sundance Film Festival because people went to see a film about a farting corpse and they oh, no, I can't watch this. This is terrible. This is immature and juvenile. I will leave. Um, well, what do they fucking expect, really, from the premise? Um, and I think the, 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 there are attempts to give the film a bit of depth using, like, Hank's literal isolation in the stranded in this forest as a metaphor for how he feels in, like, a societal sense. Like, he feels, like, on the periphery, on the outside of people. But it's, like, it's not... I would say it's quite shallow. It's there and it's recognisable and it gives the character a bit of purpose, but doesn't really have anything to say. A friend of mine actually commented on my Facebook post about the film when I watched it. He said, it wasn't bad until it became about how creepy men are, which I think is really harsh. I don't think it's about how creepy men are. I mean, just because Hank is like infatuated with a girl that he's never spoken to, I don't think that necessarily means men are creepy. And nor do I like particularly think it's actually a turning point in the film. It just doesn't, it's there. It doesn't really add any weight to the story as much as it just exists to provide a story. Um, but I didn't mind. I didn't think it was bad or worthy of division uh, particularly. Um, but yeah, so like I said, when, um, when Swiss Army Man wants to be funny, it is really very funny. The acting is really good, particularly Paul Dano, uh, who's fantastic as he, always is. Uh, the sets are quite creatively designed. The use of many is, of Manny is very kind of creative and imaginative. And the Daniels, as they're known, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, the other Daniel, the co-writers and co-directors said that they, they want the first fart in the film to make you laugh and the last, la uh, the last fart to make you cry. And I think it kind of kind of achieves that in terms of the first part makes you chuckle and the last part makes you go, no. But I wouldn't worry too much about any like particularly strong or powerful pathos. It's just a comedy. It works really well as a comedy. Maybe worth buying on DVD or video on demand. More likely worthy of a rental, uh, but definitely worth checking out if it lands on uh, Netflix or Amazon in the near future. Okay. I have seen a film called Big Game, and it stars Samuel L. Jackson, and he is the president of the United States of America. So basically, Samuel L. Jackson is the United States president, and he is flying to Finland for a pre-G8 conference summit meeting thing. Um, but his plane is destroyed in, in flight, um, and he is jettisoned from the plane um, because there is some terrorist people trying to get to him um, or something. Um, and he crashes in the wilderness in Finland, and there is a lad there, basically, in Finland still, some children, when their parents are hunters, have to go through a rite of passage and go out there 
for a few days and kill a deer and bring it back and prove that you're a man now. So there's this lad doing that and he finds the president and he helps him try and survive and beat the bad guys. Also, back in America in this, Jim Broadbent's in it doing an American accent. He's like an expert on terrorism. That's weird. Yeah. That's yeah. odd. Yeah. That for me, I thought it I thought he'd be like, if he's in it, he'd at least be like a professor but doing it in English accent. But no, he's he's doing an American accent. Hmm. Which which has threw me a little bit. Um there's a twist at the end, which didn't really see coming. Sets it up for a sequel that I can't ever see being made. He's <laughs> uh, it's, it's all right for like mindless hour and a bit watching crap films to Is kill time. No. Okay. I got. I remember the 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 trailer for it, and I got the feeling it was a comedy that wasn't going to be very funny. It was made by Jalmari Halanda, who's the guy who made uh, Rare Exports. Okay. Finish yeah, if you've ever seen that, that's yeah. see that's that's quite a funny. But like, it's interesting though, that, Steve, that you mentioned that this sets itself up for a sequel. Because if you have a look on IMDb, like for Rare Exports, there's Rare Exports: A Christmas Tale in 2010. Three years before that, there was the segment Rare Exports Inc., which was included in an anthology horror thing. There was uh, the official Rare Exports Inc. safety instructions 2005, which was a short. There's Rare Exports Inc., which was a short. So clearly, I think he just gets hold of an idea and runs with it. Mm. Um, so it's no surprise, I think, really, when you say that about big game, that it's they've got plans for a bigger universe or world for it. I think that's so, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a bit of a plot. You know, he's basically the president's aide um, betrays him um, and, and tries to, to kill him. Um, one of the terrorists was a point you made not to think he's a terrorist. He's apparently part of what's called Big Game. He's hunting the president and he wants to stuff him and mount him on his wall. But I'm not quite, ever quite sure if that was a serious motive or not because later on a terrorist says he wanted to martyr the president. He had the same beliefs as the president but was trying to do things different. I don't quite know. There are some explosions um, there was Samuel L. Jackson, not as, you know, shouting and swearing and, mm-hmm. and that. Um, yeah, it's exactly what you'd expect a Samuel L. Jackson film where he's the president that's got a bit of an action part of it to be. I don't regret watching it. <laughs> I, I won't ever watch it again. Is it on Netflix? Is that... it's on? It's on Netflix. Okay, I'm, I may give it a go because I did like Rare Exports. I just thought the, the humour in it was... In fact, um, Liam, did you watch Rare Exports? Yeah, uh, yeah, saw that. Yeah, I like that one. It's quite good, isn't yeah. it? Oh, it is, yeah. Um, I tend to watch a lot of Finnish films anyway. I quite like tend to like their style, but um, this doesn't sound like one I'll be rushing to. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't scream Liam World Cinema to me. No, but, uh, no. <laughs> the Finns made some great films, so Rare Exports is a... Um, hijacking that went south is good, and then you got all the Aki K stuff, you know. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of their their usual stuff, but uh, no, this one I think I'll pass on that. Brooker, what have you seen this week? So I'm I'm going to touch on a couple of films very very briefly, mainly because I also want to write reviews on them if I ever get a <laughs> second to fucking breathe. Uh, the first one actually is a film that came out on Friday on VOD called The Void. It's a crowdfunded horror Canadian horror movie. Have you guys come across this movie? Yes. No, no not from that, probably. It's 
basically like this massive uh, uh, no I, I, I kind of want to say it's an 80s throwback it feels like an 80s horror movie it's all uh, real effects there's not much in the way of CGI and things in it it's it's about a cult doctor thing it's it's completely bizarre it's about a, a cult that lives or that gathers in the basement of a hospital and no one knows they're there until this kind of horrible thing happens in this house and the victims from it end up in this hospital and now the hospital's surrounded by cultists trying to keep them in and all the while they're in the while, while these people are in this hospital in this basement this doctor who has for reasons best known to himself removed all of the skin from his face starts trying to bring this beast thing to life and bring it into like our world i tell you what it feels like when i watched it it felt like a clive barker movie like not just one that he'd written but it felt like hellraiser like this really disgusting really gross uh practical effects of these horrendous hell-bound monsters just everywhere it is a you can't talk much about it without spoiling almost all of it because i mean it's not very long and it you know it's all action from the get-go it's all story from the get-go it's it's so easy to watch i i got back from work and we we whacked it on on friday night and it was absolutely it blew me away i was riveted to this film absolutely go watch it it's outstanding i loved it there's uh the other film i wanted to briefly talk about is actually a film i didn't expect to ever show anywhere certainly not in milton keynes <laughs> and that was uh raw which is a a french art house <laughs> gory dry it, it's billed as a horror it's not a horror film but it is kind of a cannibal film and it is quite gross uh but very very briefly it's about a woman who goes to veterinary school she's a vegetarian uh comes from a vegetarian family and in her first night at veterinary school she's hazed and forced to eat raw rabbit's liver this her eating this raw liver kind of kickstarts uh a previously unknown liking of raw meat and she starts to eat raw meat everywhere, including, you know, ripping chunks off of uncooked fish out the fridge, biting chunks off of people she had sex with. It's quite grim. Uh, about a half, an, no, maybe about 45 minutes to an hour in, is about the turning point for this film. And again, because I wasn't expecting to see it in the cinema, so I made sure that because it was showing, I went to see it. And one person got up and walked out as this woman started chewing on uh, a, a removed digit and just kind of gnawing the meat off the bone. Right. It was fucking gross. Uh, really quite stomach-turning, some of it, but it was really, really good. It's, it's gotten a lot of hype recently with, uh, with it being you know, a cannibal movie and it being quite, quite graphic. And there's been a lot of like stories of people being sick and and people not being able to stomach watching the film. And some of it I can understand, but it's definitely overhyped. It's an hour and forty minute art house movie 
where maybe 20 minutes of it is a bit gross. Uh, there's the, the bit with the gnawing finger is quite disgusting. And the end, which I won't spoil, obviously, is shocking. And even I went, oh, fucking hell. That's poor. <laughs> oh, that's a bit hardcore. But it's really, really very good. And I, just because it's a French art house cannibal movie that I didn't expect to see in a cinema, if it's around the next time you look at the cinema listings, I would rec- definitely recommend going to see it. So as we mentioned earlier in Triple Bill, we're going to take a look at our uh, three favourite religious or religious-themed, religious-based, whichever way you want to interpret it, uh, movies. Um, Owen, why don't you start us off? Sure. Yeah, I think that's also a very good clarification there. It's not just movies about religion, is it? It's it's religious-themed movies that we've gone for. Because I think that's a broader category than just movies about Jesus or whatever, you know. Um, yeah. Because it gives you a wider selection to choose from. Yes. So I asked on Twitter, and one of the suggestions that we had uh, was dogma, which I think is, like, that was the first reply oh, that we it. got. <laughs> yeah, I went for that one as well. Well, good, because it's a legitimately quality choice. But um... I'm, I'm, I'm scribbling that one out. <laughs> something else. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, no, if, you leave, like, if you leave it in, we can all go home quicker. <laughs> <laughs> that was my one comedy one. Well, I've got a comedy one as well, but it's, it's not dogma. But like, so I was thinking, well, dogma is a good choice. You've also, if you think about what came out this year, we've had Silence by Scorsese, <laughs> which is about two 17th century padres who go to Japan. You couldn't not get a, a, Not a comedy. Not a comedy. Two completely opposite interpretations of the theme that we've gone for. Uh, equally, we could have had like Life of Brian, which you mentioned at the start of the podcast. Could have had Kingdom of Heaven, Da Vinci Code, uh, Aronofsky's Noah. I was looking through and I was trying to remember if I said the film where the aliens are angels. Do you know what I'm talking about? What? Knowing. Knowing, exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Knowing counts as a religious movie. Wow. There's, there's a shit ton of them. I, I just live for the day that Alex Proyas makes another good film. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> He, he either he or you will have retired from watching films by that point i think yeah i think so mm. but um basically i've gone for a few my first choice is a serious man from 2009 which is um a coen brothers movie have any of you seen it a serious no. Man? no no okay it's primarily about a physics teacher who's played by the uh, brilliant michael stuhlbarg who's wife wants a divorce and his life is basically going tits up so he turns to his uh jewish faith for answers i guess you could say it's probably like one of those movies you could dub a dramedy in that it's got like elements of drama and kind of black comedy uh neatly intertwined uh in the way that i think the coen brothers can do really well and i I've said it before, I think it's their most underrated film. When people talk about the Coen brothers, they often think stuff like, you know, Fargo, No Country for Old Men, True Grit, The Big Lebowski. But I think this gets overlooked an awful lot. And it's so bloody funny at times. Like the opening prologue, which is on YouTube, it's like a little short film in itself. It's set in Europe somewhere in the early 1900s when a Yiddish man returns home to his wife 
Um, and he tells her he's met some old geezer on the road. And she tells him that the old man he's talking about died three years ago. And so is a dibbuk, a possessed dead man, basically. And the whole uh, skit, for want of a better descriptor, is like, it's so funny. And although the rest of the film is set in 1960s Minnesota, uh, I mean, I'm probably not ex like exactly starting my triple bill with a film about religion in so much as a film about religious culture. Which I think is what turns me on about a serious man so much is that I, you know what? Well, it does so well. What I want to know about it is about the Jewish culture because that's where the humour comes from in this story. And I learned, you know, I don't know anything about Jewish culture. I learned it from TV shows like Seinfeld and Woody Allen and all those New York movies and, and things like that. And I wasn't brought up around it. You know, I used to spend my weekends in Golders Green in London, and it was always so out of the ordinary to see all the like orthodox Jewish people about because I just never experienced that at all in the Midlands ever. So yeah, so I just like, it was kind of fascinating. It's kind of exotic. And I think the way that a serious man works um, is by exploring the life of a regular guy who's going through uh, something of a midlife crisis um, and what he does about it. And yeah, it's just really well well written, it's well made, it's well acted, it's funny, dark, it's got lots of comedy. Um, yeah, so A Serious Man is my first pick for our religious-themed triple bill. My first pick, then, is what we mentioned earlier, um, a listener suggestion of Dogma, which is from 1999. It's got uh, a pretty uh, stellar cast with Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Alan Rickman, Chris Rock, Salma Hayek, George Carlin, and others. Uh, it is a film directed by Kevin Smith before he disappeared up his own whatever uh, <laughs> and started making awful films uh, and doing just loads of different podcasts. And it is about two angels who, are, who have um, fallen and been kicked out of heaven by God, played by Damon and Affleck, who are trying to find their way back in if they do find their way back in, it will cause uh, the end of everything. Um, and trying to stop them are uh, a few um, biblical characters, or, or in, you know, Chris Rock's characters who are left out of the Bible, um, trying to get the, the last scion, which is a descendant of Jesus, um, to a certain place to stop uh, the two angels um getting back into heaven um the last sign being the idea that uh, jesus had descendants not direct descendants but his brothers and sisters uh, half brothers and her sisters children of mary and joseph would have had children so it would be his you know great 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 whatever niece um it is in the film it's it's funny it's it's well acted it's clever in many ways it's stupid in some ways um, but in a good way and yeah it's it's a, a really good film um with a good ensemble cast and uh, extremely enjoyable although probably not as thought-provoking as it wants to be it's interesting you say that because uh i remember i think it was an interview with kevin smith uh i read or saw or was around at the time it came out he said it was a film he made because he wanted to celebrate his religion and then pushed out a giant shit monster. 
<laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> but it was really cool because it, it garnered all this weird, like, pseudo-anger, didn't it? Like, people protesting outside screenings and shit. Well, it had Chris Rock saying Jesus was a black man, and then it had yeah. a woman play God. So yeah, it was far awesome. right Christian Bible belt. Have that cunt bags. Let's be honest, Jesus, who apparently, whether he's a son of God depends on what you believe, but there was a man called Jesus who went round saying he's a son of God. Based on where he was from, he weren't going to be a Caucasian bloke, was he? He wasn't. He was a gardener called Jesus. <laughs> but hmm. you know, because he he. Went along, didn't he? Oh, Kevin Smith went along to the protest himself with a sign saying "Dogma is dog shit." Did he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's quite Kevin Smith, isn't it? It is very Kevin Smith. Yeah. But no, I, I, I Dogma is an awesome film, and you know, it's it's one of the films that still I piss myself laughing every time. And it was on my list as well. I was hoping I'd be original with that one. Guess not. Oh. Okay, <laughs> um, Liam, what have you picked for for your uh, first pick? Well, uh, my first thought was Dogma as well, but I reckon someone else would do it. So I've, <laughs> I've been at us on the off. Then I thought my um, next idea was uh, Pope Must Die because I haven't seen that in donkey's years. Um, Pope Must Die. Yeah, Robbie Coltrane. Oh, right. comedy. Uh, it was very good. I remember it being very good. Couldn't find it anywhere. <laughs> uh, next idea was Nuns on the Run. Oh yeah, <laughs> which I did dig out, and which hasn't aged well. So I've been there, <laughs> okay. and I've gone serious. Uh, I saw a document. What's the documentary called? Almost Holy. Um, it's from the Ukraine. Uh, it's about this. It follows this uh, pastor. He calls himself. Um, I imagine he's in the Orthodox Christian Orthodox religion. Um, sort of because his name's Gennady, which matches up with. Um, very famous Russian cartoon crocodile, supposedly, um, who befriends children and helps them and all that. And he's made it his life's mission to save all these street children from alcohol and drug and sexual abuse. And it's all very worthy, and you follow him. You just get this feeling the whole time that something ain't right here, you know? Mm. Um, In particular, there's... One, there's one part of it where he goes to a dump. There's, um, he's been told there's a, a woman being abused in this dump. He goes there and, I mean, the place is unimaginable filth everywhere. And there is a man and woman living there, and she's uh, deaf and has some serious mental problems as well, uh, mental health issues, as well as substance abuse. And he is basically just taking advantage to, to basically rape her every night, virtually. Um, and this Gennady helps them out, helps her out, starts trying to get her sorted with a few bits, etc. And this guy that he, she's with, Sasha, his name is, um, all you hear this Gennady saying all the time is, Sasha, it's time you went away. Sasha, don't make me sin. You know I don't like to sin. And you get this horrible impression. Well, it's not particularly horrible because this fella does need a bloody good kicking. But you get the uh, feeling that all's not right with this guy. He is not doing things for the reasons he purports to. Um, and especially towards the end when it starts to... Because this is uh, fairly new. I think it was last year it was released. Um, when the Russians invade Crimea... Um, 
you start to see this Gennady doing a lot more training, and it's it goes from being straight documentary to the impression I got was you know like in a really bad, cheap, and nasty knockoff Rambo film um, of how you see the the underdog begin training and things like that. You know what I mean? Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, it's in no way supposed to be humorless. It's a very, very unsettling documentary that, number one, highlights something that's going on in, you know, a supposedly modern European country that's absolutely terrified what these kids are going through. Mm. Absolutely horrific. Uh, it needs sorting. It don't need sorting by guys like Gennady. There's something off about this. Um, I certainly recommend it as a very interesting but unsettling documentary to watch. I was left at the end of it. Oh, I get the feeling that this guy is going to end up being a politician and then he's going to end up being a war criminal. There's something really not nice. It's what it seems. I mean, obviously, illegal. he may well be the nicest guy in the world and I'm completely misreading that. Should make that very clear for legal purposes, if nothing else. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't sound uh, like it. No, um, there's something very unsettling, unbrooding about the number of shots you see with him sort of staring down, or he has this sort of, it looks like, like a ritualistic way of washing his face. There's yeah. something just not, not right with this guy. The boy ain't right, there's something going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, I heartily recommend you dig this one out. Um, almost holy from the Ukraine. Very good. I've um, just had a look at the director, Steve Hoover. Have you seen Blood Brother, his other movie, his other documentary? No, I haven't. I I didn't know how to take that one. He basically, it's his mate who goes to India and starts living with these um, kids with AIDS in an orphanage. Oh, yes, I have seen it. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The American guy, and he's an American. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't realise it was by the same guy. To be honest with you, that passed me by. Yeah, um, I, I watched this on the recommendation of someone else actually, who just said about this being good. So I, I had a look. Mm. Um, oh yeah, yes, I do know the one you mean now, Blood Brother. Yeah, and that was excellent as well. Yeah, that came out as a Storyville, didn't it? I think it did. On BBC yeah, a couple of year back. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I thought that was quite interesting as like a look at. A person. I didn't necessarily think it was a a great documentary, but I thought as like a you could see from the way the director made it that the he was going to go on to make a film about an extraordinary character. Yeah, I think, and it seems like almost totally is probably it. Yeah, um, I I do really recommend this on this similar because to be honest, when you watch Blood Brother, mm. you get the feeling. There's something else behind with this guy, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think probably because it was his friend, he, you never get to the yeah. bottom of it either. <clears throat> no, mm. I mean, you definitely get the feeling there's something, you're not getting the whole story here mm-hmm. about Blood Brother, isn't it? And um, it's very much the case with Almost Holy. And um, I'm hoping it does turn up as a story of it, actually, because the sort that would be perfect for it's brilliant. Really, definitely worth a watch, but... Mm. Very unsettling and extremely heartrending. The state of these kids, mm. horrible, just horrible. Okay. Oh, what's your second pick? It is a um, Danish film from 1955. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm going to call it Ordet because that's how it's spelled, but it's probably Orday or 
or death or something. Uh, translates as The Word, which is by Carl Theodore Dreyer. Um, so of his five most well-known movies, he did Vampire. He's in loads of movies, but he did Vampire. He did The Passion of Joan of Arc, Day of Wrath and Gertrude. And this, um, this is the only one that was both commercially successful and critically successful of release. It was the only one that made money and it was the only one that was reviewed well. All of his other films either did one or the other. Um, I wouldn't say it's particularly my favourite of those movies, but that's only because, with the exception of Gertrude, which I don't enjoy very much, those movies are all just phenomenal. Also, completely by coincidence, I started a film studies module at university last week, and on one of the slides was a still from this movie which uh, is probably why I thought of it for this triple bill. I, I recognised the scene when it came up on the on the, the PowerPoint, recognised the, the shot of the scene. I couldn't for the life of me remember Carl Theodore Dreyer's name or the name of the movie it was from, which it, it actually probably saved me from looking like one of those poncy, pretentious twats. Um, because There's always the, next time. Yeah, there's going to happen at some point. <laughs> Um, all the other we saw stills from other films like there was a Clockwork Orange The Searchers The Robe Casablanca and stuff so stuff that every, you know that you can point out and go, I know what that is if you've studied film or you know anything about films I know what that is and he you know after each of these stills he would ask anyone if they knew the names of them and of course people did um, but he didn't ask if anyone recognised Audette and I was kind of relieved because I couldn't remember its name and disappointed that I didn't get to show off like the film snob dickhead that I am fully capable of being at times but um, anyway so Order is uh, based on a play uh, as I think most of if not all of his films are it's set in the it was filmed in 1955 but it was set in the 1920s on a Danish farm and there are three uh, brothers and they're all sons of a devout Christian the eldest is atheist and he's married to someone called Inga who dies in childbirth during the film. Um, his younger brother is just kind of a, uh, I guess, regular Christian, um, and he plans to marry the daughter of a rival family uh, in their small Danish community. But the youngest brother, Johannes, studied religious texts all his life and now thinks he's Jesus Christ and can perform miracles. So it's it's kind of about faith more so than it is about religion, but I think it kind of mixes the two quite well, um, if you know what I mean. It's it's not about the church or even specific types of Christianity or like a religious order. It's about believing in the Holy Ghost and all that jazz. I think it also looks at how the roles of uh, family and religion often uh, mimic each other and how the, how they're intertwined as well uh, and I guess more prominently than all of that it specifically calls into question what faith actually is so you know is it is it just belief without question or is it knowledge through questioning um, or do, does it really do or mean anything in the grand scheme of things and particularly in relation to what a miracle is because things go a bit uh, unexplainably ambiguous towards the end, which which ties in nicely, I think, with it being Easter, the way the film wraps itself up, because 
it is very closely related to what happens in in uh, with you know the resurrection and so so yeah it's it's a it's a slow burn drama with very good performances by completely unknown people at the time um which i think was a conscious choice but it just it looks amazing as well the way it's shot is just gorgeous to look at so yeah all this my second choice of the um religious triple bill um my second pick is uh from 2002 and that is the bell gibson film signs and some people might think that's not a religious film steve well it it bloody well it's, is in hat brigade yeah because he because <laughs> mel gibson's character used to be a priest um, and then when his wife died in an accident he gave up his priesthood um and the film really is about his faith um or is a lot about his faith as much as it's about aliens who are killed by water. Um, so why do they try to invade a planet that is mostly water? Mm. Well, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. <laughs> and that, that is essentially what's happened there. Um, so, but yeah, I, it's again, like I said, Dogma was a film before um, Kevin Smith disappeared up his own wasset. Uh, this is a, this was a before M night Shyamalan disappeared up his own wasset. Although, I don't know if he's returning to form or not with more recent films. Um, it, you know, it had a had a couple of twists in it, as films like his do. Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix are are good in the film, um, especially uh, Phoenix as somebody who ends up being a a bit disturbed, a bit tinfoil hat. Um, Mel Gibson is a is an old cynic, and yeah, it's an enjoyable sci-fi film. I think it definitely is thematically religious as well. Yeah. It's all, it is, as you say, all about, well, it's got Mel Gibson in it for a start. So even if that wasn't in the script, I imagine it was uh, imparted upon it somehow. Yeah. I love it. Mel Gibson's in it. It's implied that it's religious. It's bound to be, yeah. At least not Jewish. And yeah, well, we won't call it anti-Semitic, but we will say. <laughs> I didn't say a word. No, no. Okay. And Liam, what's your second pick? Um, so another documentary, but uh, entirely different, this one. Uh, it's called Marjo, M-A-R-J-O-E. It's the first part of Mary, first part of Joseph. Even though that, that's not, is it? There's no E in Joseph, is it? J-O-S-E. Anyway, <laughs> I just realised that. That's how they explain it in the film, anyway. What it is, uh, from the mid-70s, this, um, really fascinating, you have to call it an expose, I suppose, or self-expose, um, a lad who was brought up in the travelling sideshow um, evangelists, you know, the screaming, shouting, um, speaking in tongues sort of thing, fill the bucket, you know, with the money. Uh, brought up with it, um, we started training him at the age of four, and you see all these film clips of him um, and performing marriage ceremonies, and, and then he's uh, sort of like... Um, all hell and brimstone preaching and that. And it's intercut with, it's, it's made by him and his friends. Uh, he wants out as an adult. He wants out of it, but he wants out with a load of money. And so he decides to sort of do a self-expose and then his plan is to become a film star afterwards. Um, I've never heard of him. And I can't even remember what his full name was now myself. <laughs> But he was, um, it's brilliantly done in that you do see him and his family and their helpers putting on these shows. And 
Then it's intercut with him sitting around with a load of hippie types, and he's saying to him, "Now, when when you see somebody go up to a member of the congregation and put their hand on full on their head, get the camera in close. We will start speaking in tongues just after that, and the spirit will take us." Mm. And all this, you know, um, and he's talking to the guys through how to make a film, exposing his whole scam. And you see other bits of film, home movies, a lot of these are, that are intercut, um, made off the ceremonies and then backstage, counting the money and talking amongst themselves and things. It's um, it's one hell of a film. Uh, It's on Amazon screening, (coughs) Prime rather. And um, it's definitely worth seeing this just to see the in the brass neck of it. And I was watching it, and it's you get a huge range of emotions. You pity for the people who are desperate for some sort of cure or help, and who think they're getting it, but are just being fleeced. Then you kind of think to yourself, "Well, ah, oh, come on, now you would you be that gullible, you know?" Um, and you end up in a mix of Pity and fury, and and in the end, right by right by the end, to be honest, I was kind of grudging admiration of the nuts of this guy that um, he thinks he's going to make this as his breakout movie and establish a he's going to mm. be an actor or pop star by the end of it. When <laughs> I mean, it's just a horrific charlatanism of well, you know, um, I think we're all much alike in views of what religion is. Uh, but this is to the nth degree, and it's it's cruel and it's nasty. Um, but it's one hell of a film to see. Um, so definitely look this one out. M-A-R-J-O-E, it's called. It's from about 1974. Definitely worth seeing. Brooker, what's your second choice? So my second choice is uh, a horror movie-ish, in as much as it's, it's called a horror movie, it's not. Like scary in the slightest, but it's the 1999 thriller Stigmata. You guys must have seen Stigmata. Yeah, yeah. I've never actually seen it, but I know. It's it's so shit, (laughs) but I love it. And it's basically about a woman who, after she gets hold of some rosaries that belong to a priest who apparently had Stigmata, she starts to suffer from it, even though she's like not God fearing or church going or believing or anything she's just she's a complete atheist and now she's uh, suffering with stigmata and she's being whipped by imaginary forces and you know holes turning up in her hands and, and that kind of shit it's probably more well known because somehow you have this religious supernatural horror movie and have Chumba Wumba as your opening song <laughs> which is absolutely mental <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm liking it already. It's 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 so shit. It's got Gabriel Byrne uh, playing a priest. It made in the same year that Gabriel Byrne played the devil in End of Days. And I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure he was nominated for a Golden Razzie for both roles that year. He was kind of crap Mm. in both, and the film is a bit wank. But I really really like it just because it's so fucking daft but it's, it's a lot of fun and Patricia Arquette's alright in it as, Pat- as Patricia Arquette is alright in most things 
outside of True Romance, I can't think of and Lost Highway. I can't think of much that she's outstanding in. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, silly stigmata-based horror movie. It was I liked it, and I kind of now talking about it, I want to watch it again. <laughs> but yeah, it it was. I mean, it doesn't get much more religious than Stigmata. Okay, Owen, your final choice? Uh, it's, it's called The Last Days in the Desert. Um, it's a film that was only released uh, last year, actually. Uh, and I picked it blind, basically. I just wanted to try a film that I thought sounded kind of interesting, but that I had, hadn't actually seen before. So whether it turned out to be good or bad, uh, I was going to review it on the podcast. And... I only just finished watching it a few hours ago. It's a uh, relatively low-key film that was made made in about five weeks, I think it was. It took about five weeks to make it uh, and was written and directed by a Colombian filmmaker called Rodrigo Garcia, who uh, I guess is probably best known for directing the crime drama Nine Lives. I think that's probably the film he's most well known for. But he's also worked on TV. Is a film about a cat with Kevin Spacey? It's, <laughs> um, I don't know. I've never <laughs> seen it, but I don't think it's that one. I think you may be thinking of a different film. I think this is a Colombian crime thriller. So Fair probably enough. not one about a cat. That's got nine legs. But um, so, yeah, so he also worked on TV um, with HBO. He directed episodes of uh, The Sopranos, of Six Feet Under, of Carnival. Um, amongst lots of other things. Also, coincidentally, uh, I published a review of Callum's on Friday for a biopic called Neruda, which is about a famous politician and um, Chilean poet called Pablo Neruda, uh, which was directed by a guy called Pablo Lorraine, um, who's the man behind the biopic about Jackie Kennedy from earlier this year. Um, What's coincidental is that apparently Rodrigo Garcia grew up around Pablo Neruda, according to Wikipedia, because uh, Rodrigo Garcia's dad is a Nobel-winning writer called Gabriel Garcia Marquez. So, weird coincidence. It's not exactly, you know, Catch-22 or anything, but I thought it was just a curious coincidence, either way. Uh, so anyway, yes, yeah, so the last days in the desert, it's pretty self-explanatory, I think, given the context that I'm talking about it in. Uh, in those about the last forty days, uh, the last days, I should say, of the forty days of nights that Jesus spent in the desert, being tormented and tempted by Satan. It's a very small production uh, from the looks of it, but it is shot on location, which is quite nice. Shot in Southern California, uh, which makes use of its like vast emptiness uh, from a cine- cinematography point of view, anyway, because at times it just looks amazing. Um, I thought it looked amazing. There was a point in the film where Elisa, uh, my wife, was watching it and she thought it actually looked like an episode of Star Trek. This is, what, what do you mean? She says it looks like it's been filmed in a studio and someone's just painted the background. But I think that's just like the nature of where they are in that it it, it looks quite picturesque, I guess. It's, it, it definitely seems like otherworldly and um, foreign. And I think the sparsity of like what you're seeing works quite well like it's in the Colorado desert, but you you could quite easily believe this was two thousand years ago in the Middle East somewhere. Um, but yeah, so uh, Ewan McGregor plays Jesus, um, 
which is not a th thing I ever thought would happen, but he, he's there playing Jesus. He also plays the devil. Uh, so he's being tempted by a sort of mirror image of himself. And there are three of the cast members, and that's it. And very early on in the film, um, during uh, Ewan McGregor's traipsing around this like desolate landscape, uh, he stumbles on a family who are living out in the desert. There's a son who's played by Ty Sheridan. There's the father who's played by uh, the sublime Kieran Hines, who I love in everything anyway. And they have a very unwell mother who's played by Eilat Zura. And it essentially just portrays Jesus as the son of God, as you'd expect, but not really performing any miracles or, you know, he's not turning dust into food, he's not curing the illness um, or anything weird like that. I mean, he's just a guy who's been tempted by the devil. He knows he's the son of God and all that, but um, he gets involved with the family in a normal way of just deciding to help them build their house from stone. And it's just like they're a family who are just experiencing regular familial problems and issues. You know, the dad doesn't know how to talk to the son. Uh, the son finds it easier to confide in Jesus. Uh, all the while the mom's ill and needs looking after. They're struggling to build shelter, blah, de, blah, de, blah. I mean, I, I like the film a lot, actually, in, in that it was quite interesting for something that's so um, uneventful. It's, you know, just entirely watchable. And I like the ending of the film, although I've apparently read now that it's a tad controversial for some people because it cuts to the crucifixion, but then doesn't show the resurrection, which apparently means it's quite controversial for Christians because, yeah. So it cuts to that, and then it has some people who appear 2,000 years later and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I think, I think it just reflects how in the supposed 2,000 years since Jesus died, it just pretty much things stay the same. People are still the same. People still have the same problems. And I think that's very reflective of what the story's about. Um, so I thought it was quite a, a neat little ending. But, you know, what do I know? Apparently not very much. Apparently it's hmm. very offensive. Okay. My final choice, a bit of a tenuous link on this one, but mine is The Fifth Element. And <laughs> um, you're wondering where the religious bit comes from there. Well, the aliens who are trying to protect her from the evil that comes around every 5,000 years, they gave um, well, their contact on Earth who, who kind of helped them was a priest. Mm. So there's a link there. And I thought it was just that's a... That's the link. <laughs> yep, that's the link. There's a priest. What do you want? Do you want me to do Sister Act 2? <laughs> I'll do Sister Act 2. Yes, yeah. All right. All right, I'll do Sister Act 2. I'll tell you why it's better than Sister Act 1, because it's about kids and you have to form a group of them and they have to do a song at the end. And the songs are Lauren Hill and Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah, um, and there's a bit of a rap in the song as well, and Whoopi Goldberg's fun in it. And yeah, it's better than it's better than Sister Act One because that's all about her. In fact, Sister Act One should be called None on the Run because she's on she's on the run from bad people in that one. But then I don't know what you call Sister Act Two. She's won't be on the run in that. And but the job. Teacher, teacher, nun teacher, <laughs> the nun teacher, the nun teacher, because but you but you do nun as N O N E because she's not really a nun. Oh, very good. There you go. So it's she'd be the she'd be the nun teacher because she's not really a nun or a teacher. She's none of them. 
Yes. So when we go for the uh, gritty remakes, those are the names we've mm. got to use. Um, so yeah, watch Sister Act 2 because um, <laughs> there's nuns in it and that's, that's about religion and stuff. But Fifth Element was your original joke. Yeah, because that's like a, a fun sci-fi film. It's a little bit different. Well, when I'd seen it, it was a bit different to stuff that I'd seen before anyway. But no, apparently now None on the Run 2 is my next choice. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Liam, what's your final pick? It's called The Innocents, and it's not the Deborah Carr. I was going to say, is yeah. it? <laughs> not the Deborah Carr one. Um, so set in Poland. I think it's a French-Belgian time collaboration. Recent uh, came out last year. It's on the. It's just been added to Curzon Home Cinema app, which is brilliant. Always worth looking on there for stuff. But um, the idea is, it's about a convent in Poland at the end of World War Two. The Germans had been through and had, well, they'd been at what the Germans do, sort of thing. There'd been a lot of um, assaults, and they'd say they stripped the the convent of every riches, all its riches, etc. Then once the Germans had gone and the Russians turned the table, they came marauding through and stayed for three days with rape and pillage and all sorts of nastiness. And now the nuns are left with uh, lots of pregnant nuns and how they're going to deal with it. It's not a laugh a minute. Um, I know I make it sound like it's a, a slapstick comedy, but I'm sure it's not. But it is actually a very good film. Um, a really good watch. Um, proper drama-y thing. Good story, but not a comedy, but definitely worth a watch. Brooke, what's your final pick? My final pick is Nude Nuns with Big Guns. Is it really? No, no, okay. it's not. <laughs> not just can, you, can you review that one instead, though? No, well, I can. It's fucking awful. Don't watch Nude Nuns with Big Guns. It's one of Guns. the, the revitalised um, grindhouse things, isn't it? Non-sploitation films. Non-sploitation, yeah. <laughs> Along with, it's the same as Hobo with a Shotgun and stuff like that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just fucking ghastly. But no, my actual last choice is... Yeah, religious themed, and it's definitely just a theme. And it's uh, the 2008 French horror film Martyrs, which I think I've spoken about before on the podcast. I've mainly because I adore <laughs> Martyrs. I think it's a an amazing film. I know a lot of people don't agree with me on that. But I think it's just nasty, horrific amounts of violence on women for no reason. But no, it's not. Uh, but the basic premise for Martyrs is like innocent women, so you know, virgins, children, what have you, are systematically tortured uh, in the hopes that they will reach a level where they can prove or they can see and prove the existence of a next life and a god and a paradise and things like that. And the, 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 this cult that do this to these kids and these women are just horrendous bastards who think they're doing it in the name of religion when in fact they're just horrendous bastards uh, I think it, I, someone else must have seen this film I can't be the only person that's seen Martyrs yeah I've seen it Yeah. what do you think? I thought it was quite an interesting idea for a film <laughs> and uh, I like the concept and the things about it that I do like However, it is 
through the middle third excruciatingly tedious. Really? Oh, mm-hmm. man. I could. I just, like, got so bored with... Because it... To me, I understand the point. Like, I, I get that it's a long, excruciating torture for these characters. Um, yeah. Because it's supposed to be. But I just didn't enjoy that experience of watching it. I just thought it... I, it felt like torture porn. Like, uh, there was a point where it was... It went past being about how, like, the, the the meaning of it just disappeared of itself, and it was like, and now we're going to do oh, this, and this is a cool practical effect that we've got. Yeah. Oh, there's definitely some element. Of that. I think there's some element of that to the the whole, like that entire collection of what they call new new wave French. Yeah, French new wave things. Yeah. French new wave. Yeah. All of those all of those films have got something very similar going about them, and they do. They go to excruciating levels of detail and torture and just horrendousness that easily lose the plot completely. But there's just something about Martyrs. I absolutely adored it. And I got to the end, I was like, holy fuck. <laughs> I remember getting to the end the first time I watched it, I went, Jesus Christ, what the fuck have I just watched? And like, it blew me away. Like, I was thinking about it for days afterwards. And I, Like I say, I know not everybody, you especially, don't, <laughs> you know, don't, don't share the the same opinion, but fuck me. I mean, and the, the weird thing is, I was I've been thinking about this film for a while, like maybe the last month. I've been trying to figure out a way to add it into my list of films that I'm watching because I really want to watch it again. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, uh, do, we're doing religious movies. I was like, oh, oh, I can I can shoehorn that in there, and that's just gonna give me an even more be- even better excuse to go and watch it again. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but. I absolutely will watch it again. It's a film, considering how nasty it is, I could watch it once a week without, you know, without a problem. Really? I really do enjoy it, yeah. I think I... I really, really like it. I could watch it again, but with fast forward on, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the remake? Yeah, that was, um... That See, the re- dumb the remake pissed me off. Yeah. Mainly because it ruined the fucking ending by making it not all dark and horrible. It, did, it, it, was... it didn't seem to understand what the martyrs... No. But I'm, I didn't get why the whole film was called Martyrs, I didn't think. <laughs> and so I just thought it dumbed everything down to the point that it had no meaning. It just became a typical uh, Hollywood remake. It just became a crappy American horror film. And that was like that. one of my biggest problems with it was that they had this, I think the director said when he was making it, that I wanted to show that there was a glimmer of hope. Well, no, no the point then is... Then he's missed what not. the whole thing is about. It's just... <laughs> yeah, you've, You've missed the entire point to the film. It's not a bit I of hope. I think there's a glimmer of hope. Yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll never watch a remake again. I actually, it's one of the worst remakes I, I think I've seen in recent years. But yeah, the the original, I a, a top ten of all time film for me. Mm. I Okay. Um, that's almost all for this week's uh, failed critics podcast. Just recommendations left to go. Uh, Netflix is slim picking this week in terms of new additions, but they have put Ghostbusters 2 on there. <laughs> There's your fried eggs nice. movie. Mm. Uh, I was... it... yeah. uh, I'm just going to recommend Swiss Army Man on DVD because we were, you know, they were kind enough to send us a screener, so okay. I can do and a little basically, plug. Basically, send us free shit, get recommended. Yeah, I mean, it genuinely was a good film as well. I mean, not great film, but very entertaining. So. Okay. Liam, 
uh, on iPlayer, there's um, Elo Elo, Singapore film. Um, people like to uh, see something worthwhile from different countries. You can tick Singapore off your list with that. Decent enough family drama thing about a maid who, who's the wife of their family gets the ump because the family like the maid more than, more than her now, sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Brooker? Uh, so on Friday, I think it's Friday or it might be Saturday, uh, Netflix adds the Neon Demon to its list of films that are available to watch in the UK. So definitely one to watch. And if you don't want to watch that, for a tenor on most VOD choices is The Void, which is awesome. Go and watch that. Okay. So, yes, that finally is it for this week's Failed Critics podcast. Thank you all for listening. Find the website www.failedcritics.com. Next week, me and Owen will be joined by James and Callum, and we'll be reviewing the latest in the Fast and Furious franchise. I actually prepared. I looked at the spreadsheet, and then you didn't ask me this week. I know. I knew. You knew already. Yeah. yeah just ahead of me. Hmm. And also join me on Friday for me live tweeting all 20 million Star Wars minutes of film. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash failed critics. Thanks for listening. Thank you very much for drawing me level. Do you want to know what the tiebreak was going to be? Because yeah, I was right. quite looking forward to this one. Okay. In, uh, in the South Park movie, you know, bigger, longer and uncut, in uh-huh. order to kill Satan's abusive boyfriend, which is, of course, Saddam Hussein, Cartman has to shout a number of expletives to produce rays that shoot from his um, V-chip. But uh-huh. how many of the 12 swear words that he shouts can you quote? Oh, God. <laughs> That's what I wanted to know. I was going to give you a point for each. Oh, wow. But, um, I never would have got that. No. Can could do it, Steve? <laughs> so remind, remind me the... the... The scene we're talking about. So you know, Cartman's um, got like an electric V chip thing. Yeah. Functioning, and he has to shout swear words to charge it. That's yeah. Um, Barbara so, Streisand. Barbara Streisand <laughs> is one of them. Barbara Streisand. It, it doesn't. Yeah. Barbara Streisand. Just remembered that. Yeah, ends in Barbara Streisand. Including right. Barbara Streisand, there are eleven other words that he says. I'll give it a go. Go for it. So, the shit. Shit is one. Fuck. Is one? Uh, I mean, you can't, it's not going to be no English ones. It's not going to be bollocks, and it's not going to be wanker. That's uh, correct. Dick? Oh, it isn't one. No. What? No. Pussy? Is one of them, yeah. That's three. Mm. I'll give you two more incorrect guesses, and then... Um... <laughs> <laughs> I found it. It's awesome. <laughs> Douchebag? Nope. Bullshit. No. Uh, I, went, I went and Googled it. Go on then, Brooke. What it's, is the full quote? It's fuck shit, cock ass, titties, boner, bitch, muff, pussy, cunt, butthole, Barbara Streisand. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I haven't yeah. added that film to my list this year. I might have to now. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.